Well, welcome to Palestine Deep Dive. Is it a momentous day? Is it just one exchange of prison guards for another, as some Palestinian commentators have been saying? Either which way, this is an important day because the Israeli elections are over. And in the past few minutes, Prime Minister Lapid has effectively conceded defeat uh, and uh, congratulated uh, Benjamin Netanyahu, who is, as we speak, pulling together a coalition government. And joining me to talk about all of this this evening is our old friend, Ian Williams. Uh, Ian is in New York. He's the president of the Foreign Press Association, um, also a former president of the UN Correspondents Association, um, a columnist with more columns than the Parthenon, most famously. Um, many other famous things we could mention about Ian, but we simply won't have time to go through all of them. However, he is also a columnist for the Washington Report on Middle East Affairs, a sage and sagacious commentator on all things Middle East, all things Israeli and Palestinian. Absolute delight to have you with us, Ian. Welcome. And just before we go to Ian, to all of you watching, and um, obviously apologies for the short notice, but we thought it was very important to try and get our heads around what all of this means and what this could mean for Palestinians, for any possible peace process, although that seems to have trickled away into the sands of the Negev. Uh, but we say to all of you who are watching, please send in your questions. We'll try and get through as many as possible. Um, but we're delighted to have Ian with us. And Ian, thank you. I mean, that going to that comment, I think actually it was by Yara Harawi of the Al-Shabaka uh, network, who writes in the Guardian newspaper in the UK today, and she looks at this election result and she says it is effectively a change of prison guards, not much more than that. But what's your take uh, on on the election result and broadly what it means uh, for Palestinians? Uh, well, I think the interesting bit is that uh, it's not so much the effect on the Palestinians directly. Uh, I can't say it being that significant since the so-called progressive liberal government has overseen uh, vicious pogroms by settlers against Palestinian villagers. It's seen the state's authorities demolishing people's homes. It's seen state-condoned violence in, in Haram al-Sharif. It's, it's seen demolitions in Jerusalem itself. So it's almost impossible to think of it actually getting any worse. Where it might have some effect is in the international field, where... Um, Joe Biden has said that he won't have anything to do with the the Kahanists. But he said that about MBS just before he went and fist pumped with um, MBS in Saudi Arabia. So, you know, just how staunch he is on the principles. What it will make it easier for if people are rallying for it is to roll back against the attempt to um, outlaw BDS and boycotts because there's no argument now. These people... It's not an allegation of apartheid. We've got people swinging from the rooftops shouting apartheid. We don't want anything to do with the Arabs. We hate them and we want them out. So it's very difficult, even for Labour friends of Israel, who will take almost anything, uh, to, to say that this is in any way a progressive move and that attempts to overturn it or to thwart it are impossible. So I, re I really think it's the international repercussions. And... Um, on the other hand, Netanyahu has, um, he's been, I, th I think if he was in Hogwarts, he'd be in Slytherin because he slithers everywhere, worm-like, and he'll try and wriggle his way through this one uh, and try to say, look, we're really nice guys. You know, he's got Madison Avenue techniques. 
But if he goes into a coalition with these other people, it's very difficult to appear reasonable if you've got stark raving lunatics who carry guns to demonstrations in Jerusalem. Uh, and, and well, of course, uh, okay. including, including the uh, the man he's going to go into government with, Ben Gavir. He was the one who was filmed <laughs> with a revolver in his holster about trying to... A quite astonishing situation. But yeah, absolutely. As you, as you were saying, I mean, it comes to a pretty pass where we see an Israeli prime minister who is uh, facing corruption charges. So let's not forget, uh, hoping that his coalition partners will somehow spring him from all of that, but being seen through a lens of uh, of possible moderation in comparison with uh, the religious Zionists and with the ultra-Orthodox parties that he's now doing deals with. But So it's interesting what you're saying, but when Netanyahu also made his promise during the election that he would annex the settlements in the West Bank, that takes it further, doesn't it, don't you think? Well, you know, um, I have the very first time I saw the occupied territories, uh, I turned to Palestinian friends and committed thought crime. I said, you know, let them have it. Tell them it's theirs. And at that time, I swore that, you know, you won't be able to see the West Bank for the for the clouds of dust from retreating Israeli tanks. Because if they think they're getting the demographic nightmare incorporated, they would run like hell. So that's almost to the point now where the Palestinians, you know, they're not going to say it. There's too much nationalism and too much pride and international law. But if they said, okay, annex them, but you have to give us votes. That would alter the whole equation. And the part of the reason for this is you, we can't blame the victims. But the ineptitude of various Palestinian approaches, you know, for example, it might have made a difference if the Palestinian authorities had encouraged the Palestinians in Jerusalem to register to vote. You know, I've had this uh, these arguments before over Kosovo, for example, when the Kosovars boycotted the Serbian settlement. And the Irish had it once before, years ago. Sinn Féin was faced with the dilemma of whether to boycott the Westminster or to stay in, and they stayed in and caused trouble right up to the time of the rebellion, um, which might have been a better move, but it also prepared them to move out immediately when they, uh, when they declared independence. So th th there are, let's say, um, light footwork has never been the forte of the Palestinian leadership. They've <laughs> contented themselves with reciting slogans, and currently, unfortunately, it seems like they're acting as the sort of the sepoys for the Israeli administration. That's you know? that's in the in the Palestine or in the Palestinian Authority. That's where the claim has been made about that. But what about these, you know, some of the claims being banded about by uh, so-called centrist politicians in Israel that essentially the Palestinian or Arab bloc, uh, you know, didn't do what you were urging, actually getting to people registering East Jerusalem. They're partly to blame. And then, of course, the various centrists and Labour figures are all falling about, about amongst themselves, blaming each other. Um, but essentially, have we not reached a stage now where what you see is what you get? This is what people um, have been warning about from the Israeli left, for a, from the real Israeli left, if you like, for a very long time. It's coming to pass because the left gave up. It certainly did. And look, part of it is um, I was explaining to some students yesterday about what a dog whistle was. And we have to remember Ronald, uh, not Ronald Reagan, um, before him, Richard Nixon converted the whole of the South, which was once a solid democratic bloc, into Republican with dog whistles. Basically, he appealed to the racist undercurrents. And that's what all of these politicians are doing. So the competition in Israeli Jewish electorates 
has been very much who is more anti-Palestinian than the other in a subtle coded way. I know the, the, the so-called progressive Zionists are basically saying, well, we'll, we'll be anti-Palestinian, but in a measured way that won't, uh, that they won't mess up the donors in Europe and in the US. Um, and unfortunately, the people, the Islamophobes of the Zionist right and the, most of the Zionists full stop now uh, don't really care what people outside think. They've shown that. There is no penalty for them. They have, you know, whatever they do, they're going to get support. They could practically bomb Damascus, uh, New well, Damascus, and they will get support from Washington. But, but tell us, for, for, the, for those um, who may not follow this in as much detail as, as, as you do, I mean, you talk about Kahanists. Um, you know, what are Kahanists? And tell us a bit more, if you can, about this, by, this guy, Ben Gevir. We know he comes from the Hebron. We know that he's calling for disloyal Palestinians to be thrown out of Israel, thrown out where we don't know, where they're supposed to land up. But tell us more, if you can, about what is informing these ultra-Orthodox religious groups. Well, first of all, they've been pandered to by the so-called centrists, the so-called moderates, because they need their votes. This is the raw essentials of electoral politics. 30 or 40 years ago, when we first came into this, a lot of the Orthodox didn't want anything to do at all with the Israeli state. They regarded it as an aberration. Some of them still do, you know, the Torah Kartai, but even some of the more sort of mainstream um, ultra-Orthodox, as we call them, they didn't want anything to do with the Israeli state. They thought it was an abomination. But then they took the line that if the, if the Israeli state wants to give us money, we'll do it but we won't give them conscripts. We won't let them run our schools. We won't let them police us. We won't let them you know, enforce any of the normal laws. And they got away with that. And that was the compromise that was paid for uh, by the, that was paid for and con condoned by the so-called moderates. To get those votes, they went along with it. And that has built up. And now we have the settlers and the same thing has happened. Once it was Labour that introduced settlements into the West Bank, people should remember. It was the Labour Party did it. They put them in there and they've never totally repudiated them. They've sometimes said, well, maybe, but they've always there. They're every bit as fervent on the settler front as the far right. And they provided the word with all of the state for this. Basically, the settlers do what they want and then the state will come and back them up. Every now and again, there's an aberrant court case which says, really, you know, you know, you can't see somebody off the land their family have hold for 500 years just because a couple of hairy lunatics from Brooklyn have moved in there with Uzis and a, and a copy of the Talmud. Uh, but that's gone by the board. I mean, what we've seen now is wholesale. And in the old days, there were penalties, you know. The U.S. said, oh, well, no, you can't do that. It's against the law. It's unhelpful. So we'll have to negotiate afterwards. And then Trump comes along and says, oh, no, no, you can elect. Mm. It's yours. And they say, oh, we always said the contiguous settler blocks would be there. You know, the contiguous settler block is all the way from Jerusalem to the to the Jordan, as far as they're concerned. Mm. It's this death by a thousand cuts. And you know, the, you, I mean, I, Ian, you mentioned at the beginning the, um, the ramifications um, on the international scene. Perhaps that's where this election might have the most effects. And of course, in recent days, we've seen this very powerful report by the special rapporteur 
Francesco Albanese, um, very quite explicit about Israeli apartheid. Uh, and we've also seen um, a backtracking by the UK government on the plan by former Prime Minister Liz Truss to move the British embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Um, the new Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, has said that's not going to happen. And we've also, as just mentioned, heard apparently from the Biden administration that they are not going to deal with some of the people that Netanyahu is going to have in his cabinet and who are going to be supporting his government. So do you think that makes it a little bit easier to get a degree of consistency, something I know that you've been calling for for a long time, and which, by the way, very briefly, was against Prime Minister Sunak the other day by a Scottish MP who said... Uh, you know, are you going to consistently support? Okay, you're back again now. Good. I'm back. Yeah, apologies for that. It's, I, did you get the gist? Of, I think you got the gist of my rather long-winded question. But do you think that there's already uh, there is kind of a pushback of sorts coming, and that's even before Netanyahu gets into office? It's back to the future or forwards to the past. You know, in in 1967, in 1970, mm. 1980. All European governments, and even to some extent the US, agreed that the occupation was against the law and should be ended. That the settlements were against the law and should be ended. And that's been rolled back by the type of people who rolled through the Labour Party and said that any such suggestion was ipso facto anti-Semitism. Now, people are pushing back on that. And, you know, I think uh, it might be popular with some of the leftist supporters of Palestine, but the, in this case, the best friends of the Palestinians are, is Ukraine. Because the other countries cannot maintain uh, a coherent international campaign to say that, you, that uh, annexation, that, that the acquisition of territory by force is illegal and that, uh, ac that annexation is illegal in one case and then withhold that principle in elsewhere, elsewhere. So it behoves all of us to actually link the two questions together very very loudly and say yes but like the scottish mp or uh, uh, who you just mentioned we should be saying yes we agree about ukraine you can't acquire territory by force no you can't annex things so if it's true there it's also true in uh, in, in 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 the west bank and in gaza and by the way the golan heights which we've all forgotten about yes yes of course I mean, the Golden Heights suffers from the fact that the person who's got the best claim on it is a reprehensible, genocidal dictator in his own right. So it's a bit difficult to sort of <laughs> put your hand on your heart yes. and set I mean, principle in this case. One, you, one does want to get too carried away by hopeful signs. But, um, you know, for all of those, and especially on this Palestine deep dive where we've been calling for consistency from the outset vis-a-vis -vis Ukraine and the Russian occupation and the occupation of the Palestinian territories by Israel. Uh, we've also been saying that Britain needs to be consistent. So it was quite cheering today to discover that the British government has sat down with the government of Mauritius and is actually discussing uh, effectively the General Assembly resolutions passed and international law as regards to the Chagos Islands and returning them to Mauritius. So uh, once again, two hopeful signs from Britain on both the embassy and well, while we're sticking with the empire, let's remember that Australia has walked back on its recognition of Israeli annexations as well. Absolutely, yes. Bonza, so, yes. so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> some hopeful signs, but we shouldn't get we shouldn't become too hopeful because, of course, what we were talking about at the very beginning when uh, 
you know, some of the Palestinian commentators have said, well, it's just one set of prison guards for another. We, we can see from actually today statistics released on settler attacks on Palestinians that they've risen by 17%. Uh, 2002 to 2022. Under the nice government, remember. Under, Under yeah, well, absolutely, and this is about it. This is before the, and we also we 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 know that, for instance, I mean, a lot of this has gone under the radar. We get this because we see it on social media, and because we have we have Palestine deep dive. We have people like yourself and others. We have people, many people on the ground, really courageous people on the ground reporting what's happening. Hebron has effectively been closed off for weeks now. The siege was lifted today. Um, uh, settlers, armed settlers and settlers throwing rocks, um, often with troops, uh, Israeli soldiers hanging around or sometimes even encouraging them. Um, this um, could be worse, worse having, better. The Orthodox uh, settlers having dance parties in the middle of sacred mosques while the uh, custodian of the two mosques in Saudi Arabia and the Kingdom of Morocco, who is, I think he's still chairman of the League of Nations, of the League, of the, of the Arab League um, Jerusalem Committee, is quiet. This is, uh, mm. this is sacrilege. I mean, I am open-minded on this, but I know what would happen if a bunch of people with turbans and, Uzi and uh, Kalashnikovs went into a synagogue anywhere else in the world and started singing Beladi, Beladi. That wouldn't last very long, I'm sure. Mm, indeed. Well, I mean, you know, taking a step back, what we've seen today uh, is uh, the culmination of yet another election in Israel. I think the fifth in met well in two or three years I can't remember but I mean they, 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 in Israel as you know they have a, um, uh, there's, a there's a multi-party proportional representation system uh, it is open currently to all citizens of Israel be they Jewish Palestinian Christians or Muslims or or whoever but do you think this by the way this of course is frequently held up by um, uh, by some defenders of Israel to say well look they've got a democratic system in Israel. Uh, you try find that elsewhere in the Middle East. Um, but at the same time, do you think that with the emergence of these, as you describe them, Kahanists, uh, these re religious orthodox uh, players in, in Netanyahu's government, do you think there's going to be an effort to strip people of their citizenship, stop them from voting, boot them out, as has been promised? They've been doing it for decades. Uh, you know, Palestinians who live in old Jerusalem have had their residency rights withdrawn. They've had their passports taken off them. They've been harassed. Uh, you know, pe people whose families have lived for generations in uh, in in old Jerusalem have, have been stripped. They're not allowed to marry. They're not allowed to bring people in. So, I mean, what we've got here is a combination of the finest electrical te electoral technology in the world. We've got the Tory parties fascination for multiple elections producing complete actually masturbatory leaders <laughs> <laughs> and uh, which is being emulated in in, in israel uh, but based on pandering to the lowest common denominator that attracts all of these fringe lunatics um we've, we've got the ruthlessness of the republicans electoral roll purges and the dog whistles I mean, they've they've really learned the lesson. They're very astute people, the Israelis. They're cosmopolitan in that sense. They're cosmopolitan in where they take their lessons from. And of course, you know, whatever they they whatever you they, you heard them say about the Arabs mm -hmm. and the 
Islam before. Uh, you shouldn't hold it against them when they come and, um, let, let us say, grope around the crotch of the of the Gulf states to get what they want. I mean, these uh, the shameless, which which pretty much makes them par for any electoral <laughs> most most elected parties in the Western world now as well. Very few speak up for principle, but one of those principles which we keep having to remind people, which people are dying for and people in Western Europe are paying for is the non-acquisition of territory by force. Mm. That's what that's what's happening in Ukraine. It's not about Ukraine. It's not whether the Ukrainians are nice or nasty. It's not whether they speak Russian or a dialect of Russian or a separate language. It's the non-acquisition of territory by force. Indeed. And of course, in the occupied territories, there, there aren't any elections. I know you were talking earlier about the sort of, you know, allow these settlements to continue because essentially the demographics will never be in anybody's favor other than the Palestinians in Palestine. And therefore, you know, does it really matter? Go go and push for elections uh, in the West Bank and Gaza as part of this whole thing. But that's it's not going to happen, is it? So effectively in the West Bank and in Gaza, the, the, the Israeli elections uh, don't play out at all because people don't have a vote. Um, but there again, you have to. We have to be honest about this too. Uh, the, the the Palestinian Authority has not exactly gone about trying to create a system uh, that is democratic in the areas that it controls. I mean, the Israeli, uh, the IDF is wandering through all of the allegedly hundred percent Palestinian controlled areas. It's arresting and shooting people with complete impunity, as far as we can see. The Palestinian police have never resisted. They're so well disciplined that they mm -hmm. haven't even gone as far as the. The occasional Jordanian takes pot shots at Israelis. Mm. It's um, it, it's it it is frightening, uh, a frightening testament yeah. to the fact that well, the I mean, as, as you know, go as well as the Israeli yeah. government. Yeah, Israel, of course, is um is a member of the United Nations, recognised uh, by most, uh, well, by all members of the United Nations, I believe. Perhaps you'll tell me if I'm wrong. Right. A couple would refer to it as the Zionist entity. Yeah, they do that. The there's a, there, there, Palestine, of course, is a, as you know, attends the United Nations not as a full member, but there but there are questions really about. Um, uh, well, look, here, here's a question. This is from a, a Jim in Glasgow. He, he asks, "Isn't a big part of the problem that Western governments and media still treat Israel with its elections as if it were just another normal state and refuse to call it an apartheid state?" Uh, should we not be listening to Palestinians who've been telling us for decades that this isn't a normal country and we shouldn't normalize it? Well, of, of course, that's the case. I mean, South Africa had fairly democratic elections. They actually had if you were white. <laughs> if you were white, details, details. They had free trade unions, <clears throat> right? Uh, yeah. They had, um, you know, and, and <clears throat> they had a relatively free press as long as you didn't question the fundamentals. So, you know, that, that was South Africa, the front line of democracy. That was the that was officially accepted by Margaret Thatcher and uh, Ronald Reagan and the rest of them for many, many years who, who covered for South Africa. And this, of course, which we should always remind people, this is while South Africa, well, South Africa, Israel was the conduit for smuggling mm -hmm. South African diamonds and for smuggling nuclear weapons into South Africa. So, well, yes. I mean, that's another point, of course, about uh, Israel not being a member of the Non-Proliferation Treaty whilst having nuclear weapons. But I don't want to. I don't want to be a nit nitpicker. But I mean, there is this issue of we we know about the occupied territories. 
we know what's being promised by this Netanyahu government with the extremists within it. But it, it still has a Israeli government so still had a degree of traction because the democracy they have in pre-48 Israel is inclusive of all citizens at the moment. And in South Africa, it was based on race. Therefore, if you were uh, Japanese, you were classified as European and could vote in white South African elections. European, they said. Yes, European. If you were Chinese or Malay, you couldn't. And of course, if you were a South African Bantu, as they used to say, um, you could vote in the homelands, and that was it—the designated fourteen percent of of the of the worst land of South Africa. So there is um, there is a diff qualitative difference in the democratic structures uh, of these countries, and yet the outcomes. Uh, are becoming more and more extreme. And does that become the tipping point, Ian, do you think, for America, Britain, France, or possibly France more than other countries? If this new government now begins to do what it wants to do, expel Palestinians, uh, take away their rights, create a theocracy in the Middle East? Well, it's France... France has always blown hot or cold. They're never quite sure whether they hate Jews or Arabs more <laughs> as, as a government, you know, especially after Algeria. You know, they supported that they were uh, instrumental in getting Israelis nuclear weapons and arming Israel. But by 1973, they were equivocal because they saw the results in the third world. Do you remember in 1973, Margaret, was it Margaret? Britain refused to allow its uh, airspace to be used to ship weapons to Israel from the United States. Mm. It's an important thing to remember how things mm. have changed uh, because geopolitically it was there. But that was also because Saudi Arabia and the Gulf states were hot in support of the Palestinian rights on racial grounds, not on in terms of um, ethics and civil mm. rights. Um, but we've forgotten all about this because, of course, one of the cleverest moves which the Israelis got the Americans to broker was the so-called Abrahamic Accords. And as I remember, Abram, wasn't Abram about to sacrifice his son? Well, the Arabs have sacrificed the Palestinians on the altar of the Abram Accords, and they deserve a full share of obloquy for it. Do you think that uh, what has ha what is happening right now, this far-right coalition that's being put together, could it, it could result in some pressure uh, and, and as amongst those Gulf states in particular? I think Morocco is another one, South Sudan, who have actually recognised Israel to, to get them to reverse it, that recognition. It's difficult to see what the role of... Look, in all of these countries, opinion polls have shown that most of the population supports the Palestinians and detests what the Israelis are doing regardless of the pragmatic benefits of getting an accord and getting travel and tourists. Uh, but the, none of these governments are in any way dependent on public opinion. They don't have elections. So the question is just how far they can go. And, mm. you know, that's, that's another aspect because we never want to wish for these things. But if uh, Gavir and the others get their way and start mass deportations of Palestinians, then even, uh, you know, a fairly quiescent, Moroccan and Saudi and Gulf population is the worm is going to turn, I'm sure. I mean, we, we, we are looking at a situation where in, in recent months, the pressure, the violence, the settler violence, especially in the West Bank and what have you, really seems to have uh, increased the temper of it, the tempo of it. Um, you get the impression that 
from talking to people and some of the guests who've come on Palestine Deep Dive that the the pressure that is it's reaching a boiling point again. And there are, there are some people, of course, who say, well, of course, it's going to get worse before it gets better. But, I mean, do you, do you see this situation spiralling out of control into widespread, another intifada, another intense bout of violence? Um, and and a, an intense bout of violence could actually sh begin to shift public opinion quite dramatically in a way. It hasn't for quite some time before. But, you know, the Palestinians have been disarmed. On the other hand, this, the Israeli state has been completely riddled with, you know, Kahanist worms. At one point, most of the state apparatus in the army were Labour Party people who had some residual memories of uh, ethics and conscience and law. Uh, it's been completely dominated for years now with uh, orthodox, with settlers, with far-right uh, people. And they're completely partial. You've seen those pictures of the IDF handing over weapons to the settlers to attack innocent Palestinian civilians. You've seen them in the West, in Jerusalem. You've seen them raiding funerals, for God's sake. What is it about Palestinian funerals that so infuriates these people? They're violating all the laws of traditional laws of humanity, but they're getting away with it. If they start mass evacuations, then who knows? It's possible the US government might turn around and say, no, we're not going to send you any more aid. The checks stop now. I mean, it's already been a big sea change. The Democratic Party, which used to be 150% pro-Israeli, is now, um, no, 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 not so much. Whereas the Republican Party, which is traditionally the party of anti-Semites, is now totally pro-Israeli and still anti-Semitic, as far as we can tell from the loose comments from people about uh, Jewish, uh, high-ranking Jewish officials. So it's um, it's there in the U.S. In Britain, it's almost there's no popular constituency for Israel outside Labour Friends of Israel. Oh, they're, they're the most vociferous and eloquent and convincing um, opponents of the of 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 what the Israelis are doing are the children of Holocaust survivors. You just have to remember Gerald Kaufman. Absolutely. I mean, remember, remember him very, very well. Former, I think he, I believe he was formerly on the board of deputies of British Jews. And when he pointed out that his grandma would be horrified to know that her memory was being invoked to justify the type of uh, bombing and beatings up going on in the occupied territories in Gaza, they even tried to whisper anti-Semitism about him. Now they were yes, getting yes. away with it. 20 yes. years ago, they didn't, or they couldn't quite. They yes. tried. They they pushed it gently. Now they would be right outright with it. You get MPs, you get friends of Starmer who would get up outright and say that Gerald Kaufman was an anti-Semite. Yeah, I mean, we, we, we haven't heard that from them, of course, because I suspect that half of those MPs wouldn't even know who he was and probably wouldn't understand half of the arguments he would have come out with. Unfortunately, in British politics, we suffer what you suffer from in American politics, a paucity of talent. Um, but looking uh, looking ahead, though, we, we, we know that this uh, coalition is being formed. We know that is going to be the most right-wing um, administration in Israeli history. It's a million miles from uh, from many, many previous Israeli governments. Um, and we know what its ambitions are. So does this really begin to test um, the resolve of those who have who will not brook any criticism of Israel 
Uh, and does it mean that there's going to be a, a obviously a pu public opinion changes? But will it mean more decisions as we've just seen as from the British government, a step back from, for instance, putting the embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem? Do you think this is a turning point, perhaps, in, 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 in changing global uh, world global opinion? Well, we could say inshallah, but I would like to think so. But I'm not entirely convinced because the the, 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 the governing authorities in many places seem to have unlimited tolerance for Israeli anti-Arab racism and in their own ranks quite often. So they're playing on a rich field there. I, I would like to think so. I'd love to think that the Western governments will get together and say, look, we can't really stand up and wave from the treetops about Ukraine. We must stand together on this one and draw some lines in the sand. And the line has got to be somewhere around the green line. Yes, yes. Well, actually, I just say finally that I mean, we 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 know there's been this. You've probably seen it. There's been a. This is coming to d d a British domestic politics again. But the Al Jazeera files on, on the Labour Party. We know that certain words are used as like trigger words, such as Palestine. Um, you know, when party officials are scouring the social media posts of people who want to stand for public office. But recently. You know, at um, at a university not altogether too far away from here, um, the Prevent program was uh, used to to evoke um, a caution about inviting a particular speaker, and the and the word that had kicked it all off was the word Palestine. So you know, there is a kind of unthinking, um, an unthinking stupidity that has worked its way into the body body politics. William, we we, we don't yeah. just have non-persons anymore. We have non-countries and non-people. I'm afraid so. I'm afraid so. Well, look, Ian, thank you. Thank you very, very much. And thank you for all of our, all of those who joined us and at such short notice. Um, sorry we didn't get to hear more from you, but we've, we've been delighted to uh, have Ian Williams as our guest uh, on Palestine Deep Dive on the night that um, uh, somebody who's still facing corruption charges, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu is pulling together. Jump for a moment. <laughs> no, not you. <laughs> You're not pulling together a cabinet, and neither are you on corrupt up on corruption charges. No. So, uh, look, thank you very much, Ian, and um, you know we hope to have you on again soon. And uh, we just leave hoping that things can can actually get better before they get worse. But where we're sitting right now, it doesn't really look that way. Anyway, thank you from all of us here at Palestine Deep Dive to Omar, Alex and Ahmed and the team. And thank you once again to Ian Williams, president of the Foreign Press Association in New York. Good night.